Hi, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for coming to visit my eco-friendly home today. I'm your host, Madison Hopkins, and I'm so delighted to have you. When you're a guest in my eco-friendly home, I want you to walk away with tangible steps to reduce your home's emissions, live healthier, cleaner, save money, and of course, build community. So come on in and make yourself right at home. Oh, goody, you brought those low sugar cookies I love, my favorite. Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome back to my eco-friendly home. And as today's guest, we have once again visiting Cheryl Seco. So thanks for being a repeat guest on Eco-Friendly Home, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to have a conversation and talk about whatever is going on that you guys are interested in, uh, realtor-wise or home-wise. So today, and listener Cheryl is my first repeat guest, I'm super excited for this, and today I wanted to get into uh, mold in the house in regards to dog pee or urination, and the reason this is so heavily on my mind is somewhere towards the end of Cheryl and I's first conversation, I said, yeah, my dog's been peeing upstairs a lot, and you asked, was it wood or metal underneath? And I think you even said something about, is it upstairs or downstairs? And so I realized that you know this whole world about like those little questions I would never even think matter, whether it's upstairs, downstairs, wood, metal, indoor, outdoor. And so I just want to get into those sort of details with you and, and just see basically how deep we can go with this dog pee topic. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a topic. It's We did have a dog for many years, so I kind of know the drill a little bit. But yeah, it does matter what, what materials we're talking about and what the issues could be. Obviously, defecating or peeing, urinating in a home, any animal or person, same thing with any other bodily fluids, is the potential for bacteria for sure. Actually, I do have a story related to this a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, mine is a mouse story, though. So my story is is in relation to a mouse infestation that we had in a house that we lived in, where that, it, it was long gone. You know, we knew we had mice in the house, and of course, any rodent, raccoons, mice, bats, birds, in a, any kind of home, they're gonna pee and poop in the house. Um, oh, yeah. That's and, so true. That's all. I, I totally forgot about that reason that like, not only do you not want animals living in your attic or crawl spaces because they shouldn't be living in your structure, but because of the other things that happen with it, the nesting, the pooping, the eating. Yeah. And then, I mean, the same thing even goes for dust mites, which is teeny tiny little something that lives in our homes and dust mites are everywhere. They're, they're a little bit less in Colorado, I would say, because you have so much dryness, they do thrive on humidity. But even those people are highly allergic to dust are usually highly allergic to the, the fecal matter of the dust mites. And it's all microscopic, but we have that and we have the dead skin cells and we have their carcasses because they die and make and there's new ones. And, and so anything that's biological like that has the potential to be a food source for mold for sure, but also just have be a food source for bacteria. So bacteria is not good either. And so it, it's all unhealthy. <laughs> it's all unhealthy. And uh, thanks to sanitation, we're a lot healthier in the world than we, than, you know, our ancestors were 
decades or hundreds of years ago (laughs) due to sanitation, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't still be a problem in our homes. We had a mouse infestation. We got rid of the mice, but didn't realize what the remnants were that they had left until we had a stain on the wall that seemed to like bleed through the paint. And, and of course, for me, it's always like, well, what would I tell my clients? Well, I tell my clients to open it up and look, because there wasn't, it wasn't a situation where there was, we could, I mean, I couldn't even fathom what could be going on in terms of water. And it was very strange. It was like little blotches and it was kind of yellowish actually. But at the time I didn't think of that. And so what we did was we just had a, a handyman who does drywall work. So you always want to have somebody who does drywall work in that situation and figured, well, we'll cut a hole and we'll look. And if there's nothing there, then we'll put it back, you know, and he can finish it and we'll put it back. Well, that's what he did. And we found that, you know, basically it smelled of urine. It There's little pellets of mouse poop. And you can see actually that where they had their nests and it was all in the insulation. And, and then that whole section of wall we opened up, cleaned it all out you know, beyond where there was remnants, but it was nasty. It was really nasty. And I will say that there was mold growing in, in the backside of the, on the backside of the drywall, there was little about little bits of mold to mold does grow in, in mice urine. So I think it can grow in anybody else's urine. There might be a pH factor or something that could have an impact on, on how quickly or not quickly that might happen. I don't study all that stuff. But I, I do know that, yeah, any animal, human, you know, wetting the bed, any, any of that stuff can lead to big problems. So it's something that you do want to pay attention to. So now in your situation, what was your question? You, it was. Well, so my example from last time was that our dog has been peeing on basically all the corners of the house upstairs where there's carpet. And there is wood underneath and it's on the upstairs with wood underneath. So just with like different examples of like, if it was carpet with metal underneath, carpet with wood, upstairs, downstairs, like how does all that make a difference? And, and where was your mouse pee on your wall? Like, was it high up on the wall or on the baseboard in the middle? No, it was kind of in the middle of the wall. So this was an area with a knee wall, if you know what a knee wall is. So there's a, it was, so it's like in an attic, it was actually in an attic where the wall was getting short. So the the line of the roof was going down low and the attic had a section, this was in a closet where the wall was not very tall. Uh And that that vertical wall before you get to the end of the, the building. So there's a lot of roof after that. It's just where it's tall enough that you could stand and have a closet, but it still was shorter than a room. And so that's called a knee wall if that helps clarify that but it was so I I knew it was like this is a not a this is a weird place to have a leak there's no plumbing there and it could be a roof leak but it didn't make sense in the way the pattern of the stains were plus it's in the middle of the roof usually you don't have roof leaks in the middle of a sloped roof for no reason so so that's where mine was now in your situation is it a is it a male dog yes yeah so he's marking Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is because they can smell another dog that was there before or something where they feel the need to mark their territory. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, you can research that online. We had a boy, we had a male dog, so I kind of know a little bit about it and it didn't happen all the time, but it would happen in odd situations where there was another dog or smells of another dog. 
um, having been there. And so what could have happened was that another dog may have marked there previously. Usually they're marking their scent over somebody else's scent that's also yeah. marked there. So it's possible that whoever lived there before you was also marking, had a, a dog that also marked. And in terms of the material, so yeah, carpeting, I mean, generally when carpeting gets wet and obviously repeated urine would be kind of nasty, it, it becomes a point where you just got to rip it out. But what we would do to clean that would be to, the paper towel blotting thing. So you're going to blot um, with paper towels, regular towels, paper towels, and blot with like stand on them so that you can pick up the paper. I have one here, pick up the paper towel and you could see little spots of moisture. And so there's still some there and you blot until you get a dry paper towel. You just keep, yeah. you stand on it, you blot, 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 but there's the pad underneath. And so it's, it's really possible that there can be more in there. That's going to start smelling. Even if you don't know it, someone else may walk in and go, Ooh, it's a little bit of a scent in here. Yeah. Um, what people about get used to it, get used to bad smells some oddly. I know it is a very odd feature that we have that we can just completely adjust to things that should not be adjusted to. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like pads underneath carpet, do you think that's better for mold prevention or worse for mold prevention when it comes to like things like dog urination or water? Well, I think it's, it's more stuff to soak it in. We have, we have pads because it makes the carpets last longer in terms of wear. Typically you get more wear plus it's more comfortable. Yeah. So the other thing is that if there are hardwoods under there, you know, so whether it's softwood, whether you have a subfloor, this just a plywood subfloor, or whether it's a hardwood, some places they'll have carpeting over hardwood floors, and that repeatedly will ruin the floors, where in other cases, you could rip up the carpeting and just refinish the floors and they're good to go. That kind of staining will really ruin the floor. And it will have that the boards would have to be replaced if it was a finished hardwood floor. So same and thing with plants. So if a plant were like being watered and on carpeting and it was overflowing and sometimes that would be the situation when you're selling a house and the people it's like, yeah, we can remove the carpeting and we'll see what's underneath. Sometimes you will find staining that nobody knew was there or they you know was there and covered it up with the carpeting because they didn't, there's big patches that actually need to be replaced in the yeah. floor, which is way more expensive than just refinishing the floor. And if so, it's subflooring, like just the plywood underneath, does that? Yeah, I mean, it'll get stained. You're not going to use that for anything. I think it's not good <laughs> for sure. And because it's, it's just soaking in and obviously the bacteria component. I haven't seen anything where I would attribute completely that that caused mold. Generally, structural wood and, and subfloors are part of the structure. Are, 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 they can take some wetness. And, and they'd have to stay wet in that spot. So I would say it's, in terms of mold, it's probably less likely, but you could have some damage. And I wouldn't, wouldn't completely rule it out since I found it in the back of my drywall from mice, which is much smaller in a smaller amount of, of pee. But in my case too, it was, it was that was on the backside of drywall, which is paper. So drywall has paper on it. And the back side is never primed. The front side would, would usually is primed and painted. So that's a little bit of a protective coating on it, but the back side isn't. And you know, that's recycled paper usually. If you didn't know that, that's what it is. And if we can imagine where that recycled paper has been, what they're finding is a lot of research is suggesting that there's there's mold spores in the paper 
or stachybotrys in particular, that it, once you get wet, it just blooms. You know, you've reignited something that was just kind of dormant. So there is a heat process in making that. So there's, there's a lot of questions in my mind about, you know, how does that happen that there can still be mold in it? She said on the back of drywall, it's recycled paper. And if it doesn't get wet, it, it usually shouldn't be a problem. But if it does get wet, then there is the possibility of it um, activating those dormant mold spores that came from the recycled paper. Yeah, so wood, whether it's softwood, which is structural wood, plywood, OSB, is even OSB that has more processing to it than plywood it takes a lot more it's not paper is is like baby food mm. and and very susceptible once it gets wet structural wood is takes a lot longer to of amount of water and to stay wet so i would say my guess would be that would be unlikely to cause mold unless it's really a lot over a long period of time and possibly if there's other mold spores in the air, area from something else Okay. So out of the blue, I would, I would say it would be low on my list of um, concerns related to mold, but bacteria still very high and we don't want bacteria either. And we don't know what that could, you know, do and to, you know, the smells and everything else. So, well, then that's sort of good news, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, in terms of mold, but bacteria is pretty nasty too. So you can have some really bad bacterial um, infections and things that I think it's not good. You know, back to our, our discussion on just, you know, sanitation. <laughs> so it's not good to live in a place where, where someone is defecating or urinating and, and in this case, an animal in your living space. So that's what I'd say about that. If it's on concrete, some people have a slab and then they would have uh, wood over that or laminate floor over that. Laminates are definitely more susceptible. Really? Because it's more processed. I mean, anytime something's more processed, it's just glue on a basically like pressed paper. Yeah. So, so that would be a, could be more of a problem. Concrete cement slabs, concrete slabs often have a plastic vapor barrier over them, which would then be a puddle to collect that, that wouldn't be good. On the, on the other side of that is if there's not a puddle and it's soaking in the concrete, well, this concrete's a giant sponge and that seems like that would be a problem over time in terms of just like, well, that's kind of a smell area of the concrete slab. You have to, when you open it up, have to figure out how you're gonna dilute. Um, vinegar is usually the solution is, it's like an, it's like the, you have to look at this up online, but I know when I've researched it, we usually did some sort of vinegar watch. We use baking soda. Baking soda is a good one too to soak up moisture. It soaks up a lot of bad stuff. But if, if you put, if you sprinkle some baking soda on where they, you know, that'll soak up the moisture and then you can vacuum it. That's a nut and it's a little bit more kind of freshening. Again, it has something to do with the pH, neutralizing the pH. And I think vinegar does the same thing, but in terms of mold, in particular, maybe not as big of a concern, but bacteria and air quality, I would say it's not good. Yeah, I know vinegar, at least white vinegar, I think it, it helps make it more acidic. So when things are too base heavy, then it makes it more acidic. If there's any scientists out there who are like, you're wrong, just please mess with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it's like the opposite. You're supposed to be neutralizing, somehow neutralizing the effects. And I think vinegar and baking soda are in the same kind of category of that. 
So maybe not directly related, related to dog urination or water spills or anything, but when it comes to floating floors with the laminate and vinyl floating floors, so those are usually above concrete and they, they do have a gap. So how does that relate with mold? How does that work? Well, so a lot of these materials will, the manufacturer's instructions will tell people that they should be putting a plastic vapor barrier down. Okay. And that's going to protect the material itself because the material can't be exposed to moisture in most cases. Something bad will happen. <laughs> it'll, it'll buckle or it'll come unsticked or it'll, so now that while that is good for the material itself, the flooring, it's not good for the air quality in the home. Right. Because we don't want to have a plastic vapor barrier on our concrete if the concrete especially is getting wet from the outside. And a lot of these homes that are slabs, whether it's a basement or first floor level, usually we don't see it on upper floors, sometimes in high rises, but that's not getting wet usually from the outside. So in the places where there's some exposed foundation that can get wet, if that gets wet just a little bit, the water wicks into the building, just like the slab is a giant sponge. And so that water gets wicked into the building enclosure and then it gets, tries to dry to the inside and gets trapped by this plastic. The plastic is never clean. Uh, dirt and dust, we kind of talked about dust as biological matter, is a food source for mold. And so what we end up having, having happen is that the air quality is compromised because we end up with, with microscopic mold growing under the plastic. And the plastic under the floating floor, whatever it is, is it may, it may be something you can't see, but it's never sealed, like completely hermetically air sealed. So air currents can get out. And then, so it's trapping moisture. And then that for many of my clients has been a, a cause of mold. And when we, when they go back and then take all that up, usually we can see some things outside that are contributing to low spots or gutter overflows or things that where we can see where the the slab is taking on water yeah uh, when they remove that flooring and that's usually what i suggest then is okay take up all your hardwood floors or your laminate floors or whatever it is oftentimes you can remove a threshold to see if there's plastic underneath i was actually looking at homes last weekend and i took a picture of nicely done basement but you could see going to the sub basement at the threshold you could see there was definitely plastic under this floor and and then we could look at the outside and see that there's some drainage issues and suspect that if i were to buy that and want to live in it i wouldn't have to rip that floor out i don't it doesn't matter how wonderful it looked and so that's um something to know for people that are highly sensitive tile would be the best solution okay yeah I was going to ask what, what a better alternative would be besides the, that yes. combination. So ceramic or porcelain tile would be the best. And the, the reason I've never seen mold growing under a slat, under a tile in the tile floor. I think part of the reason is because they're putting down mortar and so there's not actually not even a lot of air under there. What would happen is the moisture from the slab will wick up into the grout and into the mortar bed that this tile is sitting on, and then it can dry at the grout joints. So some of these tiles that have very teeny tiny grout joints, you know, I don't know. There's always something new to be, you know, that, that can be learned about and, and that we can see. 
but for the most part, what I'm seeing is that if the floor can drive through the through the mortar grout joints, then it's not a problem, even if it's getting wet outside. So that would be the safest. And then you could seal concrete as well. They stain and seal it. We see that at a lot of fast food restaurants and grocery yeah. stores and probably big box stores as well, where you can be polished, they can stain it. It can look really pretty nice. That would be another solution. Okay. Well, that actually makes sense why tile is used more in like Florida and really humid and wet regions. I I thought it was for like flooding purposes, but I have never thought that it's because I just didn't know that the moisture can dry up through the grout inside the house. That's actually pretty smart. Yeah. In fact, that's always where moisture is going to dry. So it's dry. So anytime we get moisture in our buildings, typically the inside where we live is drier than the outside. Cause especially in warm weather, that's more comfortable for us. And so in the winter, it might be really dry inside because of heating. It's debatable in really cold climates, what, which way the vapor drive is, but definitely under a slab, it's always going to be up. So the ground is actually virtually 95 to 100% relative humidity below the ground, even in Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, where it seems like it's a desert. The ground at the top, it does evaporate and you'll say like, oh, that seems really dry. It, it does on the surface, but if you dig down, it'll feel cold and it'll be damp. Mm-hmm. That's how our plants are, their roots are going down looking for that moisture. And the moisture is continually drying into the atmosphere. And so when it's under our foundations, it's still moving its way up. It just doesn't know that there's a house above it. Wow. When it's moving its way up and it ends up under a foundation, under a slab, it's still going to try to dry through that. And and then carpeting, which is often used on concrete slabs as well, that rubber pad or whatever, even, even the synthetics of the carpet, if it's a glue down, the mold grows in the glue, it's the same effect where it's, it's basically acting as a vapor barrier over the concrete, trapping the water. And then once you have high humidity trapped and, or moisture and some dirt, that's all you need for mold. Um, Well, I tell you what, Cheryl, after hearing you talk about this today, I am gonna look forward to the day when I can change our laminate flooring downstairs into tile because I'm not excited about the laminate anyways for the formaldehyde purposes and the plastic and just the fakeness of it but now that I know it's it's just generally better for home health for moisture too cannot wait really looking (laughs) forward to that day yeah and that's a really good tip for people when they're trying to make a decision on finishing a basement I also would say for lower levels and new construction, don't finish them at all for the first couple of years. Really? I, I, yeah, because they're, they're drying. If you think about it, the concrete came from a truck as a liquid mm-hmm. and they pour the walls and they can build on it and they can walk on it, but it takes years for it to fully cure and f- really, really be dry. So in new construction, we wanna give it a couple of years and then also that gives us an opportunity to see that the drainage is working and that there's nothing coming through. I do have uh, some clients that have done things like lime wash on the walls to make them brighten them up. They look whiter. I don't recommend painting, but you can stain and seal the floors. And then I think what she did was spray paint the, the structure 
and then basically lime washed the walls so they're kind of whitish but but not in the way that they're trapping moisture so yeah and so then she's still using it the interior walls i'm less concerned about but any interior walls anything that touches concrete needs to be treated wood so in, in terms of framing framing yeah and, um, metal can corrode against concrete as well just from being in contact with the moisture so there's a lot of things to think about in when we talk about slabs and moisture and a lot of things that are concealed that people might have asthma or health effects or just feel like their immune system is depressed for some reason which could lead to all kinds of autoimmune diseases or, or other health issues and that it's possible it could be something you're living with and exposed to and the basements lower level slabs are always the first place i look okay Good. That's excellent information to know. Thank you so much for sharing that with me and with our listeners today. And Cheryl, do you have any classes regarding slabs or any, any education materials related to this topic today that's on your website? You know what, actually this month, I think we're, we're focusing on my build a safe home course. So I have a build a mold safe home masterclass, but we um, do have the ability to sell the modules individually and so site and climate is the first module. And so that is what we're focusing on promoting this month. And so you have the opportunity to check that course out through the one module. And of course, site, the site drainage is, that's something that can never be done again. And it's not, if it's not done right to begin with, you might not want to buy that house, but a new construction, you want to get that right. And it gets, we offer a, if you buy that module and decide to upgrade to the entire course that we allow you to credit that amount towards the course, which would be cheaper to buy all the modules as a package. Sure. So, um, and I do do free support on the, the whole masterclass. I, I support that online, come on monthly, four to six weeks, but usually it's about four weeks, four to five weeks. I come on live and do Q and A and people send in their questions and they can watch the recording or come on live to answer questions, ask questions or, or hear the results. And so those can go anywhere from an hour to two hours. And um, we get some great questions in there as well. So, and how many days a week is that? You said it's four to six weeks, one to two hours. How many days? Well, the, I come on to do Q&A every four weeks, four okay. to five. But the course itself is six modules with a bunch of sub-modules in there. We did it. We ran it as a six-week course meaning that you do one module a week. And, and that's what I would recommend people do to pace themselves. There were some people that were super, <laughs> super students who jumped in and then they could really, they really ripped through the whole thing very quickly, but you can go back and watch it multiple times. I recommend people go ahead, listen in the car while you're driving. And then if you, there's definitely a lot of pictures. So in the pictures, a thousand words. So you, then you come back and say, okay, I got to look at the pictures of this because I heard it. Yeah. Um, I heard the content. Now I want to see the pictures and do that when you're not driving. But, but that's, that's a really good one, especially kind of on this topic of site drainage and how that can affect a building. My moisture basics course we always have, and that is also really great. This is all at avoidingmold.com through my website. And the moisture basics, I go through 10 defects and talk about kind of all the obscure ways that our buildings get wet and the ways we don't think of. I actually don't talk about <laughs> animals, but uh, there's a lot of other ways. It just, our brush is one way that our buildings can get wet. 
so yeah, so that would be my moisture basics course, which is a great overview and a really good um, beginning to the, the build a safe home course, but you can jump in to either one. And then there's a bunch of webinars on remediation and duct cleaning and uh, more specialized topics, moisture meters, which is critical for evaluating stuff to know if it's wet or if it's a problem is to be able to the moisture meter. Since I watched your YouTube video with the moisture meter, um, I've been telling people, I'm like, use a moisture meter. It's a thing. You can just, it's basically a stud finder for moisture. And they're like, oh, wow, it's so simple. So, Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would say with that is check humidity. So I know you're on the realtor side. And what, what I tell people to do is, is if you're seriously considering a home, bring a little humidity monitor. They do have some that are portable that you can just hit a button. Those are more expensive. But the little portable ones are $10, $15. And you can bring those and just set it down and then go check on it and see, you want to know what the humidity level is in the, in the home and check different rooms. Like say I would do the bathroom. And if the bathroom is a lot different than another room in the home, then that can be an indication of concealed moisture being stored there. Okay. I am so excited of everything I just learned today. You said bathroom and I instantly thought, oh my God, I've got to change that to tile too. <laughs> yes, just definitely. No carpet in bathrooms that never ends. <laughs> well, there's not carpet in there, but they, they did allow us to put the laminate in there, which has not gone very well for us so far. So good bathroom floor. It's, you know, people do it in their kitchen. No, every product too has quality levels that vary and so but I I'm not a big fan for laminate in water prone areas yeah I am no longer a fan of that either so I'm glad we're <laughs> on the same page there are good places for it and good uses for it just not I don't think where there's water yeah well now I know and now I can tell my clients and inform them and let them know some alternatives for carpet and laminate and some information about what would may or may not be more susceptible to mold. So thank you so much for being a repeat guest on Eco-Friendly Homes today. I've learned so much and I really hope my listeners have too. And we will see you on avoidingmold.com. Thanks. I look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Be well. Podcast listeners, as always, thanks for being a guest in my Eco-Friendly Home today. I really hope you learned something new and I hope you find a way to implement this into your life so you too can create your eco-friendly home. As always, I'm available to direct message on Instagram at movingwithmadison. And besides my podcast, I provide services as a real estate change agent in the Denver metro area, specializing in helping you buy, sell, or create your eco-friendly home something that this podcast is helping me get better at each and every day. When you come back over, please bring those cookies again. They were really good and I'll see y'all next time.